Um, so about a year ago, a little over a year ago, the beginning of 2017, um, the campus pastors and a few other of the, of the key leaders at Grace, we went away on um, kind of a, I don't know, vision strategy sort of retreat. We got away for a couple days, we're in this cabin, and um, we had a topic that we were discussing, um, and, it, and it's this idea, like, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What is a follower of Jesus? And specifically in this conversation, we were talking about how, do we, how can we gauge and measure growth as disciples? You know, like how, so all of us are kind of leading campuses and leading key parts of the church, and we care, right? So if you've been at Grace Church for very long, it shouldn't be surprising to you that one of the things that um, we feel unashamedly very strongly about is making disciples of Jesus and growing disciples of Jesus, kind of like why we're here. Our, so our primary value kind of that overshadows everything is we live to make Jesus make sense. Right? And so at the end of Jesus' earthly life, before he ascended up into heaven, one of the last things that he said was about this idea of making disciples. And so we call it the Great Commission. And he said, go make this, he's talking to his original 12, I guess 11 at that point, go make disciples of all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything, essentially everything that I've commanded you, everything that I've taught you. And so as a church, we go, that's kind of the mission of the church, right? To go out and make disciples and help disciples grow. And so we would love everybody to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Like that's kind of our heartbeat here. And so we're at this retreat and we're, we're like, well, let's see what the Bible says. And we just start digging in to different passages in the Bible that talk about discipleship and growing as followers of Jesus, growing as disciples. And where we landed was um, a bunch of these questions questions that we called more and more questions. So it's interesting, the terminology, uh, at least in some of the translations that we use, that talk about growing as Christians, growing as disciples or followers of Jesus, uses this, this, this more and more terminology. And so this weekend, we're starting this new series called More and More. And we've been, I've been really looking forward to and praying that in this series, um, maybe there would be some things that uh, we could correct in our thinking. Maybe we have some misunderstandings of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and that we would be able to challenge each other to take very seriously this idea of growing as followers of Jesus. And so um, this week, so, so actually, let me give you, just give you the, the topics. This is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So, so this week I want to give you a little bit of an overview of like what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower. Next week we're going to talk about understanding God's love for us more and more. Like what is, like how does God love us and what ways does he love us? The following week we're going to talk about us growing more and more in love with him. Like how do we do that? How do we, how do we like how do we see if our love for God is growing more and more? We're going to kind of dig into that. The following week, we're going to talk about how we love those that Jesus loves more and more. The next week, we're going to talk about living for what Jesus lives for more and more. The next week, we're going to talk about how we can have the attitude of Jesus more and more, right? Like our attitudes. And then the last week, we're going to talk about, um, maybe this will be the most challenging for us, I don't know, thinking through things that keep us from becoming more and more like Jesus. So each of the weeks of this series, we're gonna kinda of dig into this. And as we do, there's really a twofold purpose for this series. One is for each of us. 
right? So I want us to, to understand, each of us to understand what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of confusion on that. Or we can complicate things and confuse things. I want us to get on the same page and understand what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower, to be a Christian. What it means, what it doesn't mean. What are things that I should be focusing on? What are things that I shouldn't be focusing on? And how can I know if I'm actually growing as a Christian, as a disciple of his. So that's the first purpose is, is for each of us, right? The second thing is how can I help others along the way? Because our faith, like if you, hopefully if you've been here very long, you know that like our faith isn't just about us, right? Part of being a Christian is I care about other people, right? I wanna invest in other people. I wanna help other people grow. And I think about that and I think, you know, I think, a lot of us, all of us, like we care about people, you know, like we care, we wanna help people. You think about, you know, helping a neighbor or helping, you know, a family member or a friend or a classmate or whoever it is. Like we want to help people and we wanna make a difference in their lives. I think we genuinely care. But I think when is the last time we asked somebody, like we ask them, how are you doing? But when's the last time you asked somebody how they were doing spiritually? And for some reason, like we think that that's, a private thing, you know? Well, that's just, that's, I don't want to intrude. That's between you and the Lord. You know, but I would challenge you thinking if that's where you sit this morning, our faith was never meant to be private. It doesn't mean we're, we're pushy with people and we're overbearing with it, but our faith was never meant to be private. Our faith is meant to be shared with other people and other people sharing their faith with us so that we could help each other grow. And so as we dig into this series, I'd love for you to be thinking Two ways about that. One about all of this. One for yourself, you know, like how can I be growing more and more as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus? And then think, who's maybe somebody that God has put in your life that you, that maybe he desires that you walk with in their faith, in their spiritual journey, that you come alongside and help them grow as Christians as well? It's kind of the twofold purpose. Today, again, I just want to, I want us to get on the same page with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, with what it means and what to be a follower of Jesus. I want to say this too. So one of the things that we do around here that's really important to, um, I don't know, that just kind of the livelihood of the campus is we do small groups. We call them grace groups around here. And this would be a great series. If you're not connected to a grace group right now, this would be a great series to get connected with. A lot of our groups, most of the time, most of our groups follow along with the sermon. And so whatever we talk about in here, we kind of dig in in a little bit deeper way and wrestle with and discuss and apply to our lives. And, there, and it, like, if this is your experience with Grace Church, I'm glad you're here. But man, there is so much more. There is so much more depth that you experience when you're like talking to people and listening to people and wrestling with all of this together. So if you're not connected with the group, this would be a great series to be, to get connected. And I want to say this too, like you don't have to be a Bible scholar to, to be in a grace group. You know, you don't have to be a perfect Christian or be the most spiritually mature person. Like you don't have to have it all together to be in a small group. In fact, the, one of the beautiful things about small groups is everybody's at a different place in their journey. And so to be able to hear different experiences and perspectives is so good, it's so valuable. So I wanna challenge you that way. The second thing I wanna encourage you with, um, this week as I was preparing, I went to my bookshelf and I pulled a book off that I read a while ago uh, and, I, and to be honest with you, I just kind of forgot about. And I pulled it off because it's very much what we're talking about this week. And I was reminded um, 
how good it is, like how challenging it is. And I want to recommend it to you. It's a book by a guy named David Platt, and it's called Follow Me. David Platt, Follow Me. And it is, I want to I'll warn you, it's really challenging. Like he, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He's very direct, but I think he does an incredible job of talking about this idea of discipleship and what it looks like and what it means for us to follow Jesus. In fact, the passage that we're going to look at today is one of the key passages that he talks about in this book. So I want to recommend that book to you as well. Okay. So why don't we jump right into it? If you've got a Bible, grab a Bible, open it up to Matthew 4. You can use the Grace Church app as well, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 18. A couple weeks ago when we were doing our deception series, um, we talked about what happens right before the passage that we're going to jump into. And so we said, uh, we looked at this time when Jesus was out in the desert. And so for 40 days, he was in the desert, and he fasted, and he prayed, and, uh, and at the end of that time, I always laugh when I read it, at the end of the time, the Bible says he was hungry. <laughs> After 40 days of not eating, he was hungry, right? And so he's hungry, he's weak, and that was the point at which Satan, uh, the devil, struck, right? He, he, he has these temptations that he brings Jesus to. Now Jesus, we talked about this, Jesus doesn't give in to those temptations, he overcomes them. And then he comes out of the desert, and he begins his, kind of his public ministry, and that's actually where our passage picks up here today. So this was right after the desert experience. Jesus comes out and he begins to gather some disciples, some followers around him. And these are the first ones that he gathers. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into, this, into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So this is the first uh, disciples, followers, that Jesus begins to, to gather around him. And I was thinking about that, that word, you know, he says, come follow me, right? I was thinking about that word follow and followers and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And um, I was uh, just kind of thinking, like, my default. So people that are maybe in the older generation which I'm probably now in the older generation, I'm talking 40 and above, right? When you hear that word follower, I think we think different things than people that are in like the younger generation. So when I hear the word follower, I think like uh, maybe the follower of a sports team, you know, like, I, I, yeah, I follow the Brown. No one admits that. I follow the Cavs, right? Or, or I follow the Indians or whatever it is. And I think, and I think of that word follower kind of like a fan, right? Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower. I'm a fan of that team. Or um, like growing up, I don't know why this was, growing up, um, I'm 42 now, there were all of these like different cults that were around that were like, they had these followers, you know? And so like, I, I think about David Koresh and his followers or, or Charles Manson and his followers. And so when I think of followers, like for me at my age, those are the things that come to mind. But you talk to somebody who's younger and, you know, maybe millennial or younger than that. And when you hear the word follower, like we use it differently in our context today. When they hear the word follower, you think of 
social media, right? Like how many Instagram followers do you have? Or how many Twitter followers do you have? Or how many, you know, Facebook followers do you have? And so this week, I was, so I'm thinking I'm chewing all this stuff, and I thought, I need a, I need a good illustration for, for this, you know, idea of being a follower. So I Googled famous followers, and the first thing, the very first thing that came up was an article that, that listed, the, the title was this, the top 10 most followed people on Instagram. And I thought, well, that's not exactly what I was looking for when I was thinking an illustration, but, but then you see that title, and you're like, I wonder who the top 10 most followed people on Instagram are. And I know you guys are wondering the exact same thing, right? So let's just quickly look at it. There's a point to this, by the way. You know who this is? Number 10. You know who this? It's so funny. No one... Neymar. He's a soccer player. One of the most famous in the world. None of us know who he is. Anyway, Neymar, number 10. Number 9. You know who that is? Looks a lot like David Testa over here. That's actually... Yeah, it says Justin Bieber or David Testa. David's going to be signing autographs afterwards if you're interested. <laughs> if you're a believer. Anyway, okay, number eight. The Rock. Dwayne Johnson, yeah. I'd follow The Rock. Cool dude. Anyway, number seven. We, we talked about her a couple weeks ago. Kylie Jenner, right? Very, very popular on Instagram. Number six. Taylor Swift, yep, yeah, very popular. You, Kim Kardashian, Kylie Jenner's sister. Another very popular. You're, see, you're seeing a, 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 a consistency here. These are all pop culture people, right? Beyonce is next. Yeah, very popular. You know who that is? Ariana Grande. <laughs> yes, Ariana Grande. So I have no idea who she is. Very popular singer. Number two, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. He's dreamy, right? <laughs> Number one, Selena Gomez. I wouldn't have expected that, right? That's kind of surprising to me. Anyway, let's get that off of there. Here we go. So, so I'm reading this list, and you know, I'm, like I said, I'm Googling famous followers, and I'm thinking about how like, the younger generation thinks of followers and how the older generation thinks of followers. And I think we could easily read this passage in Matthew 4 and go, oh, okay, you said, come follow me. I know, I know what a follower is. You know, like, I follow the calves, or I follow you know, the rock on Instagram, or whatever it is. But if that's our perspective of what a follower is, we're missing it. Because the way that the Bible uses that word follower is really different than any of those other ways. So, so Jesus, and this is kind of strange maybe for us to think about, Jesus uh, would have been considered a Jewish rabbi, right? And so Jesus was a Jew, obviously. And so he would have been considered a Jewish rabbi and kind of in the loose sense of that term rabbi. And so a rabbi was basically a teacher. That's what a, what a rabbi was, but a little different than maybe how we think of teachers today. I think of a rabbi like a teacher on steroids, like they're kind of super teacher. And so that word rabbi literally means my master, that's what the word means, my master. And so rabbis in Jesus' time were exalted. They were like revered over other people because of their knowledge of uh, the law of Moses. The law of Moses is like the first five books in our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's also called the Torah or the Pentateuch, right? And so they were you know, exalted, revered for that. However, it wasn't just that they knew the laws. 
rabbis would have the, that, those entire first five books of the Bible memorized word for word. In fact, many other people did at that time as well. But that's not why they were exalted and revered. It wasn't because they knew the word. It was because of their understanding of the law and their interpretation of the law. That's why they were so revered among the people. And so, you, excuse me, you have these rabbis. Rabbis took on disciples. And when you think of disciples, so if a rabbi is like a teacher, a disciple is kind of like a student. But if a rabbi is a teacher on steroids, a disciple is like a student on steroids. And so a disciple would have been a rabbi's follower. And the way that they chose those disciples was very carefully. They wouldn't just choose anybody to be one of their disciples. They only chose those that they felt like could actually become like them, right? And so one of the guys that I read, uh, commentators said, they only chose people who had metal and intelligence and commitment and the persistence to become an interpreter of God's word just like him. And so it wasn't like just anybody could become a disciple of a rabbi. You kind of had to be the best of the best. Because when you became a disciple of a rabbi, what you were saying was you were accepting their teaching and their interpretation for life. Big commitment. It was a lifelong commitment for a disciple to be a disciple under a rabbi. And it was a commitment where you left most everything in your life. Like your old life, you kind of left it behind to be with and to follow your rabbi. And you chose to submit to their authority. As a disciple, you choose to submit to the authority of the rabbi. You literally followed them around almost everywhere they went and absorbed their teaching and submitted to their authority. Which, so you think about that and you think of like how maybe we think of the word follower like a fan or something like that. That's really different than following Selena Gomez on Instagram, right? Like the way the Bible uses that word follower is way different. So go back to Matthew chapter four. So Jesus, the rabbi, Rabbi Jesus calls four disciples. And when he calls them, he says, come follow me. Come follow me. Now, when you read that, if you're like me, you, you, you kind of just read that passage and you're like, wow, that's kind, of, that's, that's kind of extreme. Like it sounds like they're hearing him for the first time. They're kind of minding their own business, doing their own thing, fishing. And all of a sudden, this guy Jesus walks by and he's like, hey, you, come follow me. And it seems kind of strange that they would immediately leave everything. Well, that's, that's actually not how it was. Uh, if you read uh, John chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, you see that this almost assuredly was not the first time that they saw Jesus, that they heard him, that they experienced him. In fact, one of the commentators that I read estimated that they would have had interaction with Jesus for about a year before this. So they would have seen him, they would have heard him, they would have known that he was something special, not just like a normal guy, not a typical rabbi. And so Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, called them. He, he chose them. He invited them to come follow him. And what it says is they immediately left everything they were doing to come follow him. So with Andrew and Peter, it says at once they left their nets and followed him. With James and John, it says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And I want you to think about that. So everything I just told you about a disciple being the 
best of the best, right? They had metal, they had intelligence, they had the persistence to become just like the rabbi. Strenuous process for a rabbi to choose a disciple. Think about what Jesus is doing here. They were fishermen, right? And, and no offense against you if you're a fisherman, but in that culture, they would have been seen as very ordinary, right? Nothing too special, not too brilliant. They're not people with great metal and intelligence and commitment and persistence to become just like their rabbi, just like their master. They were fishermen with dirty fingernails, unkept, would have smelled like fish, right? Probably swore too much. Three of them were very likely single. Peter was married at the time. Three of them were very likely single. And now Jesus is saying to these guys that he would help them to become fishers of men. Which, think about that. Put yourself in their shoes. Like, what would they have been thinking? Like, what does he even mean by that? What does it mean to be a fisher of men? And yet Jesus saw something in these guys that they wouldn't have seen in themselves. And they certainly would have seen in each other either. Jesus saw something. And I think about that in my life. You ever, you ever have somebody that like believed in you? You know, like maybe they, they saw something in you that, that you didn't see in yourself. I think about my life. I have, I have two guys that I distinctly remember did this with me. Like they, they like took a chance on me. You know, they, they saw something inside of me um, that I wasn't sure that I saw myself, you know. And so they, they took a risk on me, probably a risk that I didn't deserve. And, it, and it, this is interesting. It's like, because they believed in me, I think it helped me believe in myself, you know. And so they, each of them, in their own context, in their own ways, like invited me to be part of their life, you know, like not to live with them and follow them around everywhere, not like that, but just to spend time with them and learn from them and like who they are. And I look back now, both of those were years ago, I look back now and I think it changed me, you know. Like I am, I am a different person today because of these two guys influence on my life, the way that they, that they looked at, which by the way, you know, he's talking about this mentoring thing. That's exactly what we're trying to do with mentoring. You know, so many kids in our, in, in this city, in our city here, have nobody who believes in them. Absolutely nobody. And I think, man, because I had two people that believed in me, beyond my family, two people that believed in me, it like made me in many ways who I am today. You ever have somebody do that for you? Like it changes you, it's just, it's different. And yet in order for these guys to have significant influence on my life, I had to be willing to turn away from other things, right? Like in order to spend time with them and learn from them and be with them, I had to not spend time in other places, right? Like that's just, that's just normal, we can't, we can't do everything. There's like a turning away. And so I think about these four fishermen and how when Jesus called them, they turn their backs on like apparently everything, you know, almost everything in their former life to follow Jesus. And by the way, fishermen weren't back then, weren't necessarily poor people. Like we might read this and go, well, yeah, they were probably just barely scraping by. They were laborers just fishing all the time, barely scraping by in order to make money. That's not true. Back then you could make a good living being a fisherman. In fact, 
James and John, it looks like they had like their dad Zebedee had a family business, a fishing business where they had hired workers and stuff. And so you think about these guys and like there would have been security there in their job, in their business, their fishing business. There probably would have been an inheritance. But to follow Jesus with him as their rabbi, they would have to leave all of that. They'd have to like turn away from all of that and go in a new direction. And guys, I think about that for us and I think it's no different for us today. It's no different for us today as we turn to Jesus as well. The Bible talks about this. It uses the word repentance, right? In order to follow Jesus, it fundamentally involves me turning to something different, like because I wasn't following him before. And so whatever it is that we're following in our life, when we turn to Jesus, we have to go, no, I'm not following this anymore. This stool is so convenient for this illustration. <laughs> I'm not following that anymore. I'm following him, right? Like there's this turning that each of us has to have. I was pursuing this. I thought this was truth. I thought this was where there was purpose and peace and joy in my life. However, now I see that Jesus is real. I've encountered the living God and I want to be a disciple of this rabbi, of Rabbi Jesus. And so there's this turning that's part of it. Let me ask you a question. What have you turned from in your life as you've decided to say yes to Jesus? If you sit here this morning and, and you call yourself a Christian, you would identify as a Christian, what have you turned from in order to say yes to Jesus? Like as you pursue him, what have you said I'm not pursuing these things anymore. I thought they were so important, but that's not where truth is found. This is where truth is found. What does that look like in your life? And, and maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel like I've done that. I don't feel like I have things that I've consciously chosen, turned away from in order to follow Jesus. If that's what you said, maybe a follow-up question would be appropriate. I would ask myself this, well then, have I actually turned to Jesus? Like, have I actually turned to him? Or, or maybe my idea, my understanding of being a follower of Christ is very different than being a biblical follower, than being a rabbinical follower. We talked about it. a rabbinical follower of Christ is like, I am all in now with you. I am a lifelong commitment to you and to your teaching. Maybe instead, if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe you sit here and you're like, I don't know, I think that I've, I've been more like a social media follower. Where it's like, you know, I have an interest in Jesus, but I wouldn't say that he defines my life, right? As listen, if, if that's you, I would lovingly challenge you and say, that is not Christianity. S being a social media follower is not Christianity. That, that's a misunderstanding of what it means to be a disciple of what it means to be a follower, of what it means to be a Christian. You look at the disciples' lives and their lives were like changed. When you read the New Testament, when you, when you read the Gospels, and not just with the disciples, but also other people that became believers in the New Testament, you look at their lives and you're like, when they chose to follow Jesus, things became very different for them. 
right? Like they were challenged to think differently and act differently and value things differently, even to dream things differently. Like when we read the New Testament, those are the marks of a Christian. It's somebody who's changed. It's somebody who's repented. They've turned from whatever it is that they were following to turn to follow Jesus. And, and as the disciples spent time with their rabbi, what happened to them? Like what happens when we spend time with anybody? We get to know them better, right? Like I, I, if I go spend time with my wife, what happens? I get to know Marcia better. If I go spend time with my kids, what happens? I get to know Luke and Natalie better. If I make a new friend, how do you get to know them better? You spend time with each other, right? Like that's what happens when you spend time together. And what do you get to know from each other? Like what is it that we, that we get to know? Is it just like facts about them? Is it, is it like the history of their experiences? Is it their value system and, and what they say is right, what they feel like is right and wrong? No, it's not just those things. I get to know their heart, right? Like I get to know them. I get to know their person, their personality, like who they are, their uniquenesses. When we spend time with them, we get to know them. We have a relationship that's deep, and it has like a certain level of intimacy. That's what happens. Guys, listen, this is fundamentally what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As I'm his disciple, when I'm his disciple, I'm spending time with him and I get to know him. Not just things about him, but he becomes my master, he becomes my rabbi. And I become his follower. I become his disciple. Listen, if you sit here this morning and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but if I'm honest, I'm very seldom in this. I very seldom read about him. If I'm honest, I very seldom spend time talking to him and listening to him. If I'm honest, I don't spend a whole lot of time with him. I would challenge you. Say, then, are you a Christian? Are you actually his disciple? Because biblically speaking, that doesn't make sense, right? Because a disciple is somebody who spends significant time learning from their master who they are, their uniquenesses, their person, they have a relationship with them. Can, can I tell you one of the, no, not one of the, the scariest passage for me as a pastor it's right, it's right close to where we were. If you're in Matthew chapter four, go flip two pages to your right to Matthew chapter seven. We'll throw it up on the screen too. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is, is kind of in the middle of this extended teaching time. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five through seven is all about this. And at the, he's kind of at the end of this extended teaching time. And as he's there, he makes this point of what, def, he kind of defines what it means to be a disciple of his. And I'm going to read this to you. This is the scariest passage for me as a pastor. So this is Jesus talking, verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And you know what? You know why that's like such a scary 
passage for a pastor. Because we can do Christianly things. We can like think Christianly thoughts. We can think that we're a Christian, but not actually be a Christian. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here, right? Why? Like, how does that happen? Because we never knew him. We never had a relationship with him. Guys, let me be absolutely clear. Being a Christian is fundamentally about having a relationship with Christ. Being a Christian is not fundamentally about doing things. It's not fundamentally about being a certain way. That's actually the liability with that word follower. Follower is like, it's a noun, but it's kind of like a verb noun. When you hear follower, you think of action, like somebody who's following something. And that's kind of the liability of the word. We can, we, if we're not careful, we can go, yeah, Christianity is about doing stuff. It's about being a certain way, but we can't be confused by that. Christianity is not fundamentally about doing something or being something. It's fundamentally about having a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not fundamentally about going to church. I'm so glad you're here, but this is not what makes you a Christian. It's not fundamentally about going to church and having like warm, fuzzy feelings inside of us because a song moved us or a message moved us. It's not about always being happy and always being nice and always being kind. It's not about being super holy in my life. I'm perfect. I don't make any mistakes. It's not about any of that stuff. It's actually not fundamentally about loving people. Christianity is not fundamentally about loving people and being selfless and serving others. All of those things are important right? In fact, in this series, we're going to talk about a lot of those things, but none of those things are fundamentally about what Christianity is. You know what they are? Please hear this. They're the results of Christianity. Those things are the products of Christianity. Christianity fundamentally is about me having a relationship with the living God and as I have a relationship with him, those things start to happen in my life. There's this beautiful promise in Romans chapter 12 that when we choose to say yes to Jesus, he calls us, right? When we choose to say yes to Jesus, we have a spirit living inside of us. And you know what it does? It transforms us. It starts changing us, right? From the inside out. And then you know what happens? I start to want to live the way that Jesus lived. I go, I love him. He's the most important thing to me. I'm spending time with him. I'm growing in him, right? And he's changing me from the inside. And I go, now I want to conform my life to be like his life. Why? Because I love him. Because he's the most important thing to me. Listen, if you sit here this morning and you are struggling with a particular sin, we all struggle with sin. If you sit here this morning and you're struggling with the sin and you go, well, I guess I just, I need to try harder, I gotta try harder, I gotta set up some, some accountability, some people around me so that I don't commit that sin anymore. That's what's gonna help me overcome this. If that, if that's, you're, that's not how it works. That's not Christianity, that's legalism. The answer isn't try harder. The answer is spend more time with Jesus. Lean into your relationship with him. Allow his spirit to do the hard work inside of you of changing you. And then it's amazing what happens. That thing in my life that was so tempting, it was so wrong, I knew it was wrong, but it's tempting. I look at it and I go, I'm not that tempted by it anymore. I actually don't want to do it. I know I'm going to be hurting God. I 
I love him. He's the most important thing to me. Guys, Christianity, being a disciple, being a follower, is fundamentally about having a relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. And I think it is the best choice and best experience that we could possibly have in this life. Now, it's not like it doesn't cost us anything. There's a cost to it, right? When I, when I say yes to Jesus, it fundamentally means that I have to say no to some other things. And that can be hard, right? Like that can be painful. There's times when being a Christian means sacrifice. There's times when it's gonna hurt, right? But that's what living countercultural in a world that by and large is not following Christ entails. There's, there's a cost to it. There's a challenge to it. There's some pain to it at times. And yet it's worth it, right? Like it's worth it. Jesus called these four guys, Andrew and Peter, James and John. They're in a boat, minding their own business, throwing out their nets, right? And Jesus called them and they dropped everything. They left everything and they said, I will, yes, yes, I will follow you. To them, it was the obvious choice. And I'm pretty positive if we could ask them today, they would say, it was the best choice of my life. Not always easy, not always painless, but most of the time the good things in life are not easy and are not painless. Pretty sure if we could ask them, they'd say, best choice ever. Jesus called them and they said yes. Here's my question, I got three questions for you then I'm done. Here's my first question. Is Jesus calling you in your life? Is Jesus calling you? He called them and he said, come follow me. Is he calling you? And are you listening? And how will you respond? Because aren't we all just like dirty, stinky fishermen <laughs> compared to Jesus? <laughs> like he's so much beyond us. Like none of us are worthy. And yet, just like he believed in these 12 ordinary men, he believes in us the same way. He, he takes a risk on us that you and I don't deserve. He invites us to be part of his life. He, he, he wants to invest in us and change us to become all that he's designed us to be, all that he has designed us with the potential to be. But I have to be willing to say yes to him. So is he calling you? And how will you respond? That's the first question. Here's the second question, which is probably good for all of us. So if, you, if you're somebody who's sitting here this morning and you're like, no, I've, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. It's probably a good question for you and for the person who says, no, I'm not there yet. I'm thinking about it. I'm not there yet. Here's the next question. What or who are you following? <laughs> to be a Christian means I follow Jesus. He's the most important thing. And the follow-up question, what are you becoming more and more like? Like in your life, if you're honest, who are you following or what are you following? Because the thing that we're following is what we become like, right? Like if I follow LeBron James and I want to be just like him, I'm going to do what he does. I'm going to become like him. I'm going to spend time watching what he does. Same thing with Jesus. If he's who we're following, that's who we become like. 
I'd really challenge you this week to ask yourself those questions, wrestle with those questions. And, and I would challenge you again to not just do it personally, but to think who is somebody in my life that maybe God has put there that he wants me to walk with, that he wants me to walk beside and encourage and challenge so they can understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus as well. Next week, we're going to talk about um, this idea of growing in my understanding of God's love more and more. I'm excited to talk about that together.